And here we go. Hello, the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral Podcast. My name is Eddie Cohn, host, creator, producer, editor, all the above of the Spiritual Spiral. And I'm thrilled that you're here today listening. A pretty quick intro. I, basically, I record these intros to give my cats time to run into the studio. Leo, come on. Hey, stop it. Leo, no. As soon as I hit record, the cats just want to run into the studio. What can I say? So a few things on my mind before the conversation. First of all, very lucky. You get to hear a wonderful conversation that I had with Tamal Dodge. It's the second time on the show. And it's funny, the first time he was here, <laughs> Nelly, come on, stop it. First time he was on the show about, gosh, I feel like it was probably a year ago, it was sort of this examination into Tamal, you know, where he came from, because he just put out a book, uh, The Yoga Plate, which is still available, obviously, on Amazon. But he um, he just put out this book, and so the podcast was really sort of a history of Tamal, sort of understanding his perspective, where he's coming from. And I, I did my yoga teacher training with him, so... A lot of that I sort of knew, but it was great to have an extended one-on-one conversation with him. This time, I felt like it was really, obviously, there's a lot going on right now. And the yoga world, the fitness world, um, is really reshaping itself. And, you know, there's obviously here in L.A., his studio closed and a lot of studios are closing. And and I was interested in having him on because I was curious how he's dealing with the pandemic and the lockdowns and how is he finding normalcy in this bizarre world that we live in. And so it's really this, I found it to be a really fascinating, wonderful talk, hearing his perspective, trying to find the light, the, positive spin on what's going on right now. I think what I'm troubled with, a couple more points. I think I've realized over the last few months how lucky I am to have this podcast, to be an artist, to sing songs, to write a book, to DJ, to teach yoga. I sort of have realized I'm doing all of these things to feel a deeper connection to other people and to myself. I don't have the answers, but I do know that after I sing a song or write a song or record a podcast, in this case with Tamal and having him on my show for an hour and 15 minutes, I just feel better. I feel more whole. I feel more like a human being. And we are living in a day and age now that frightens me because We are trying to box everybody neatly into this or that or this political area, that political area, that belief, this belief. And we are forgetting that human beings are complicated, are complex, and we can't be pigeonholed into one thing. And it's really frustrating to sort of navigate that. And I think my show is trying to remind people that We have to turn off the phone. We have to stay off social media as much as we can. And we have to connect with other human beings. Uh, We have to connect with quiet time. Because through all of that, I believe, through my experience, 
we are healthier, happier, and more connected with our true selves. I also wanted to read something that Instagram, not at Instagram, that Tamal just posted on Instagram today. By the way, Tamal's studio in Wilmington, North Carolina, Yoga Salt is still open. And he's also opening an online platform for yoga, meditation, fitness, bodhilive.com, B-O-D-H-I live.com. Apparently it's not live yet, but it's going to be going live January. He's giving the first couple months away for free, which I think is a great idea because it really gives people a chance to dive in and check out the site and see what it's all about. So bodhilive.com that's going live in January. Make sure you check it out. And look, I did my teacher training with Tamal. I've always respected Tamal because he practices what he preaches. So let me just read this to you from his Instagram and then you'll hear the conversation. I I just, I thought it was really um, important for me to read this. My body is Japanese, Hungarian, Austrian, Irish, American. My occupation is a yoga teacher, studio owner, jiu-jitsu instructor, and movement coach. I have the blessings of being a husband and a father. However, these are all temporary designations and not my true self. After this body expires, only God knows where I, the soul, will go. Yoga teaches us that our true identity is ahem, I'm probably ruining the pronunciation, so I apologize to them all. Aham Brahmhasmi, which means I am spirit. We learn that we are all souls and that we are all transcendently connected beyond our social, national, racial, political, and occupational circumstances. Yoga is a path of self-discovery, and in that unveiling, we realize our purpose and how to truly respect our spirit. So I'll leave you, I'll leave, as, as Tamal says, food for thought. So you know where to find me. I'm on Instagram at Eddie Cohn. Just released a new song called Freedom. I'm going to record a podcast talking about the song very soon, but you can find it on Spotify, iTunes, eddiecohn.bandcamp.com. I am eddiecohn.com is my website. A bunch of new music will be coming out this coming year, 2021. Uh, still teaching yoga. You can find Tamal on Instagram, of course, at Tamal Dodge. Again, BodhiLive.com goes live in January. If you're in Wilmington, the studio is still open, Yoga Salt. And that's it. If you have any questions, you know where to find me. Please support the show. Uh, share the show with your friends. I thought it was fantastic, inspiring conversation. I felt amazing after talking to him. So as always, Thanks to Tamal for taking the time. Thanks to you for listening, supporting, and being a part of the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral podcast. How is life, Mr. Eddie? You know, man... I, I get the sense this is going to be an interesting conversation. You're going to be my therapist for the next uh, four hours, so I appreciate it. I'm conflicted, and I actually spoke to our good friend Calvin on the phone earlier today. I am personally doing pretty well, and and I yeah. I'm I'm very cautious of my health, and and I guess we'll lead the conversation with this. 
You know, I actually, I went to family in San Francisco this last week for Thanksgiving against our governor's orders. And I, I think I caught like a little cold. Um, yeah. And I did, this is what I did. I took Zycam. I took a ton of vitamin C. I drank a ton of water. I slept well. Um, and, you know, I'm better. <laughs> <laughs> and the world doesn't really... It feels like the world, the CDC and the world we're living in doesn't want anybody to do those things. It's interesting. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm a natural path nut, so you don't yeah. want to get me started on a whole rant and uh, craze on all that stuff. I mean, you know, I, I'm I'm a firm believer in, um, you know, being a yoga teacher, uh, an author of a uh, cookbook that steps outside the mold of conventional uh, ways of living and eating and things like that. I'm a, I'm a promoter of people eating healthy, moving their body in healthy ways, having healthy communities, living a, a lifestyle that is just going to make you very balanced. And, you know, I definitely am not in line with a lot of the – things that people are trying to force on other people, you know? And I think a lot of things are affecting, uh, I had, unfortunately, one of my good friends out here, um, uh, he was the captain of the lifeguards. He was a uh, firefighter. He uh, took his life about a month ago out here. And so there's a lot of things that I feel like are affecting people in a way that we're not talking about uh, enough, you know, um, mental health, uh, community need for um, support socially uh, is kind of just being pulled away from those. And, you know, I have a friend here who works with uh, suicide hotlines, which are up 800%. No one wants to talk about that. No one wants to talk about a lot of the things that are affecting on such a large scale beyond just, you know, the pandemic and coronavirus. Well, and it's it's funny because I, I think I bring up social media a lot. That's sort of the originator of, of this podcast. But I think it changed. It's sort of this pernicious attack on our culture, where you don't know it's happening. It's sort of this, you know, I'm comparing to what's happening right now as a, to a world war. And mm. granted, people aren't being shot by Uzis. But the media in the world has been very clever in the way that they're deceptively and perniciously drawing our attention towards one thing. Now, you brought up suicide. I didn't even know this, but in, in um, Japan, there were more people that died this last month from suicide in Japan than the entire year from COVID-19. Mm. Which so They had 2,000 people that died from suicide this last month. And 150,000 people die every single day. You know, yep. these these are statistics that we just don't even, I don't know if we don't have the time for, the sensitivity, we have bills to pay, you know, a life to live, but the world is forcing us to think about one thing right now. Yeah. You know, a lot of people are going to disagree with a lot of the things that I may say or, you know, um, and, you know, that's totally up to them to do so. I'm I'm actually supportive of people to disagree with me. And I, uh, I think it's actually really a bizarre thing that people feel like you can't disagree with somebody. And if you, if we're not in agreement 
you're out of my life kind of a situation, which is another topic all in itself. But, you know, it's really unfortunate because when you bring up statistics like, oh, this many people died in Japan or the suicide hotlines are up 800 percent. People are like, you can't compare that to what's going on. I'm like, but in our society, we're supposed to look at statistics. We're supposed to look at what's happening. We're supposed to use our intelligence. We're supposed to, we, we were born with something called reason. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of things that I feel like need to be looked at. I mean, and also the politicians, you know, if we're not getting somewhat disgusted by what's going on with <laughs> the political scene in general, uh, you know, we got to take a look at that. I mean, just even in California, it's it's unbelievable. A lot of people don't know. I mean, I I was forced to let go of my studio in Los Angeles because of COVID-19 and things like that. And, you know, you got people doing these crazy shutdowns while they're partying at fine dining restaurants and breaking every rule under the sun. And then people are like, oh, well, they apologized. I'm like, but the hypocrisy, like the thing that I hate the most or not hate, the thing that I dislike the most is when people live a society of telling you, do as I say, don't do as I do. I would never follow somebody that does that in anything. That would be like me taking a yoga teacher training from somebody and they're saying, only adjust this way. Okay, this is the right way to do it, but I'm gonna molest my students. But you don't do that. Right. <laughs> You're like, I would never follow you. Yeah. I'm never gonna follow you. In any instance in my life, would I ever follow somebody that does those things? In the family I grew up in too, it's like, you're educated to the point where you're supposed to look for phonies or quacks and things like that. And they run in every form of society. In yoga, we see it all the time. We find guys that are like total scummy douchebags that get into the yoga world. Um, They get exposed for it. So obviously we're going to find it in every facet of the world, in every uh, corner, whether it's politics, um, you know, yoga, medicine, fitness, whatever there is, you know, it's going to come up. And I think it's important for people to use their intelligence to like sift through the sand, you know, find the cigarette butts. Well, it's (laughs) funny. Have you heard of the show Alone on the History Channel? So I, I, I was never into Survivor. I thought it was just ridiculous and catty and silly. But Alone is basically people are left on Vancouver Island by themselves and they have to survive. And they're not together. They're all in their own camp. And, and it was actually, strangely, this, this show filled with so many life lessons because this older guy in his 40s wins. And he sort of, he sort of was emblematic of Morgan Freeman from the Shawshank Redemption. He, he just had these, this sort of spiritual depth to the way that he survived. And I was really thinking about two words. Adaptation, because he brought this up a lot about, and on the one hand, I, I could see how people would say, you know, there's great examples of us adapting right now. You know, I'm, I'm looking to possibly move. Uh, I'm, I'm ch- I've spent more time writing, but I'm also feeling like we're being controlled. And so I, I don't know if, it's weird. When I think about adaptation, I feel like you are controlling your own decision-making in this weird sort of way. But I feel like the world is sort of forcing us to think and act a particular way. And I'm, I'm struggling with that. Yeah. I mean, it's such interesting times happening right now. You know, I actually, I got a lot of flack 
during the pandemic for just telling people, you know, well, now is a good time to start meditating and reflecting, going inward, spend this extra time. And people are like, you're not addressing the issues. I'm like, this is one of the biggest issues is because one of the biggest issues is ourselves in general, um, which most people don't want to recognize. And, you know, yoga in general is about self-work and things like that. And there are a lot of agendas being, you know, pushed on us in so many different facets. And I do feel like, yeah, there's a, a crazy thing that's being conveyed right now of like control in, a, in the sense that we're telling society to do this thing called cancel culture, which is so bizarre. Like I've seen a lot of yoga teachers pre-shutdown, pre-COVID that are, you know, standing on their pulpit, preaching on their social media of we have to accept one another. We have to love one another. We need to find unity. And then as soon as the shutdown happens and people are alone and their depression sets in and then social circumstances start to escalate, all of a sudden I see those exact same people making posts like, if you don't have the same thoughts and beliefs as me, you need to be punished. You need to be put out in public and shamed and you're canceled and all this stuff. Uh, and people will go, well, tomorrow, what do you think you're going to accept everybody? I think you, we need to have a society or a community where you are okay if people don't think exactly like you. Here's a perfect example. I've been eating plant-based my entire life. I've never eaten meat, fish, or eggs. Yet my wife's entire side of the family hunts deer. They eat venison. They eat everything under the sun. I'm not going to go. I'm never going to talk to those people ever again. I'm not going back for Christmas. I'm going to exile them from my life because they don't have the same belief as me. No, that's like fanaticism. Fanaticism means someone who has very little knowledge but a lot of zeal, a lot of gusto about something. And you can take fanaticism out of religion. You can put it into politics. You can put it into veganism. You can put it into any area of your life. Yoga is about aham brahmasmi. I am spirit. And I should see that there's a spirit, a soul in you. We're connected spiritually, whether you like it or not. Not just on a human, a humane level, not just because we're homo sapiens, but because we're also really spiritually connected. We should see each other that way. So I feel like it's extremely unfortunate to see these people who are quote unquote leaders in the yoga community promoting uh, something that is so anti what yoga is all about. We should be able to say, okay, yeah, you may not eat the same things. You may not practice the same thing. You may not practice the same spiritual practice. You may not have a spiritual practice. I have friends who are atheists, yeah. and I still love them. I can still hang out with them all day long, have wonderful conversations. Because if people aren't at a maturity level where they're okay with people having a different opinion and being able to have a sophisticated, very comfortable calm conversation about their life, their practices, and respect that person, it becomes a very unfortunate um, entanglement that you see people going through. And it's just really, it's actually very upsetting to see that. And it's upsetting to see people promoting such a volatile climate and uh, feeding such a negative way of living life in the guise or the mask of saying, I'm a yoga leader or things like that. And if people don't agree with me, well, I'm sorry, but you, I'm glad you have that opinion. We can sit down and talk anytime you want. <laughs> well, and I think I actually remember you, because I remember Seisha posted something that ended up getting a lot of backlash, but I think 
you posted an article or something five, six months ago that I was actually going to post and I didn't. And I think she or somebody, you got backlash. I mean, and you, you haven't really been on social media much. Is that is that is that a conscious reason? Because I guess my point here is, is that, um, well, anyway, answer the question first. Yeah. So there's a few things to that. There was a point right when back in March when this all kind of shut down. I was like, oh, I'm just going to. So my time to finally unplug from the world and just like go into my own space, meditate, reflect, start to do some self-work. And then I had to start getting back on social media because my yoga studio started going down the drain. Yeah. <laughs> so I put more time – actually, I've put more time in my yoga studios now than I ever have in my life, which is really funny because it constantly feels like – it feels like a never-ending – rock climb where the mountain there's no top to it because you keep climbing and there's no results like you keep paying your bills you're draining everything you got but there's no end in sight so it's been a great learning lesson um you know i had to get rid of my los angeles studio right out here in north carolina we're allowed to be open but we're only allowed to be open up to 30 percent capacity with everyone six feet apart and there's no real help from any organization, even though they're putting you in this box, which is completely ridiculous. And people will say, oh, tomorrow is, you know, it's for your safety and things like that. Well, yeah, but if you're putting out things for people's safety, you should also help the people you are affecting deeply. Not just me, but all small business owners across the nation are being or across the world, really, that are being affected by it. Um, I was reading an article that somewhere around 100, I think it's 130 or 150 million people will be affected to the point of poverty and starvation by the end of COVID. 130 to 150 million people starving because of the shutdowns financially. How do we justify that? Now, I by no means am starving, so I'm not going to try to play that card. I'm not going to pretend I'm something that I'm not. But so I ended up putting a lot of time and effort and energy into the yoga studio. It made me actually start doing something. I've started a new business called Bodhi, which is going to be an awesome website. Um, It's going to launch in January. I'm going to end up just giving it away for the first two months for free for everyone just because, man, people are strapped for cash. I mean – I can't imagine all my friends in L.A., all they're talking about, many of whom are yoga teachers, unemployed, getting no more money from the government, strapped, don't know what they're going to do. going to have to move back home, be with their families, go live with their mom and their dad. All this stuff is going on. So at first I was like, okay, I'm going to just charge very little. But then I was like, you don't want to just give it away for the next – for the first two months of launching and let everyone just play around on it. Um, And it's just going to be an awesome – awesome avenue for people to get yoga, meditation, all that kind of stuff. So I've been putting a lot of energy in Bodhi, putting stuff in Yoga Salt. And that's half the reason I have been kind of just MIA on social media. And then the other reason I've been off of social media is, you know how when you're around, uh, let's say you go to an event or you go to a dinner and all of a sudden, the people that you didn't know so well, or maybe you didn't know so well, all start creating a very un- uncomfortable, terrible um, scenario, and they're all feeding into it. And yeah. you're like, I don't want to be a part of this. Oh this yeah, is, I'm I'm walking out. 
and for me, so like, I don't take any intoxicants. I most of my friends do. They all know where I stand. Again, we don't have the same beliefs, but I love and respect them. That's they're gonna live their life. They got free will. I got free will. So I don't, you know, drink or anything like that. So I've been in scenarios where I go to a party and everyone is smashed drunk within the first hour, and I'm like, I gotta get out of here. I don't want to. I don't want to be here. You know, if you've ever been this one sober person at a party, that's the story of my life. Well, when I get on social media, it just seems like everybody is on some psychotic drug half the time. (laughs) I just don't want to be a part of it. I'm like, I'm out. At the same time, I do want to express certain views, whether people are happy about it or not, and um, tell them, you know, I support you. You know, I support you. I love you. Um, But at the same time, I just don't think it's appropriate that we create this uh, bizarre uh, segregation with our friends, family, society. I've seen people say, I'm not gonna talk to my mom or my dad anymore. They have different opinions than me, they're done. I'm like, your mom and your dad. <laughs> and then they go, oh, I'm not gonna talk to you know my best friend, they have this, or this was my, these were my students, and they're done, they're out. There's a, a few things you talked about, but I'll try and focus on one. You know, I think technology has eliminated objectivity, rational thought, and critical thinking. Because the idea that one cannot merely ask questions about what's going on, the fact that Governor Newsom is telling us one thing and then he's, you know, at a party, um, not not social distancing, and and... And then I just I just think the psychological ripple effect of a, a culture wearing masks everywhere and and closing businesses down and then Hollywood's still open but you know these restaurants can't be open or it's okay um, you know uh, Hollywood's open and they're catering but this restaurant right next door can't I mean um, and then you know the NFL is still playing it's it's sort of like. Is there a pandemic or isn't there a pandemic? Because if there was, this would be a universal decision where we're all following the same, but some states are, some states aren't. And the idea that, because in India, where there's 1.3 billion people that live there, only 100,000 people have potentially died from COVID. Japan, 150 million people live there, only 2,000 have died. So if we can't have these discussions, I just... I'm concerned about that. It's 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 frustrating. Yeah, I it's very frustrating, you know. I just think that it, whether people believe that there's a pandemic or not a pandemic, whether you are from one political party or another, whether you know, you have one view on something or the other, I just I I just have this very hard time like I keep saying where People don't even want to hear each other. It's like everybody wants to hear their opinion coming out of someone else's mouth. And mm-hmm. that's one of the things why I like Brazilian jiu-jitsu. It's one of the few places I've ever been in my life where you sit on a mat and you've got a police officer, a guy who's an ex-convict. you got every race under the sun. You've got a lawyer, doctors. You've got a guy who's a who bags groceries, you know, at Ralph's. You've got such an eclectic mix of people, and they're all getting along. 
maybe it's because they all all the bullshit's taken out when you're in jiu-jitsu because there's no like oh let's just argue really just like all right we're gonna fight (laughs) and if we fight and we have this amazing experience where we are just sweating out and grinding it out all the other bs is taken out because you know there's this like primitive thing where everyone's trying to alpha each other in society that's one of the things like oh i told them off yeah that's why get in their car and they drive and they're like blare at somebody scream at them flip off and then drive away like yeah i told them off ah, i did that there's a strange thing that has happened in society where uh there's no more of that physical contact and they can have a healthy outlet for their aggression and things like that um you know i teach brazilian jiu-jitsu at this point and some things that people don't understand is that there's so much community involved in those places and you wouldn't believe the relationships that have happened on there. You know, all the, I've seen guys who are Democrats, other guys who are Republicans, other guys who are libertarians and stuff on there, all laughing and hanging out, joking around because all of it's washed out, you know? Um, In our society, we don't have any of that. And I think since people have been segregated and they haven't been around other people so much that there's this, the only relationship people have had, the only connection they've had with people is through the lens of social media, through the lens of television, through the lens of whatever they've been uh, looking at. And since you get disconnected, you get weird. People get weird with each other. You don't know how to be in society, you know? Do you think, and this goes back to the show alone a little bit, but do you, but I, I know the value of meditation. I understand the value of, I mean, I, I'm a loner. I like being alone and, and writing. Um, but I, I do think we thrive in a community. Do you think we're meant to be alone or do you think it's a balance? Because I think we can only do so much on ourselves, that, uh, by ourselves rather. That's what I think. Yeah. I think – well, there, there's a couple of things to that. I think the community is extremely important. Um, I think a community that is – Ideally, let's talk. Let's talk like a utopia here. Sure. <laughs> Ideally, you need it. It'd be great to have a community where people had true loving kindness for each other, true understanding. They were there to plug each other in and turn the volume of positivity and spiritual love and understanding, clarity, up in that person. Uh, there's these different words in Sanskrit. One's called dusanga, and the other one's called sadusanga. So dusanga is where you're hanging around people that just drag you down. They drag you into the gutter. They drag society down. They they pull everybody into this terrible place. And that's obvious where they say don't go. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then sadhu sangha is people who are spiritually elevating you and helping you. And you want to create a community where people are plugging you in and uh, – turning up the best qualities, not the bad qualities. And what I'm seeing a lot in society is people are turning up the bad qualities in themselves and trying to plug those bad qualities into other people and trying to turn that up. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really sad. It's really unfortunate. So I think community is extremely important, but I think that we need to be fostering a, a certain type of community um, where we are understanding, loving, deeply spiritual. I think there is a place for people to be alone, but it takes a lot of work to get there. I love being alone. Um, 
sometimes my wife says I'm a weirdo because <laughs> I love being alone. I love going off like on the beach, meditating for hours. I love that kind of stuff um, because I feel – well, I don't feel – I. I've come to know that I'm never really alone. I always have this uh, deep sense that no matter where I go, God's with me. Um, and I feel like I can uh, do certain things uh, to connect with God when I'm alone more than when I am – well, not more, but in a different way than when I'm with other people. Like there's a time, place, and circumstance for everything. So like in, in, in um, yogic or Vedic culture, there's a time where you can have like congregational chanting and meditations together. But then there's also times where they recommend you go off and uh, engage in things like vandanam, which is like prayer. You are stepping outside of necessarily always being with other people. And you go off into kind of seclusion. And I think there's a place for that. But I also know that there's people and personalities and things like that that need to be around people a lot. And they need a, they need love and encouragement. They need to be pulled away from depression. They need a support group. I feel like they're, you know, it was extremely sad for me. I, I went to my friend's funeral uh, a couple of weeks ago that took his life. And I was really shocked because I had just seen him. He came to my yoga studio. He walked up the stairs. He's this – like most people look at him and go, wow, I want to be that guy. He's yeah. like 6'5", just super fit. He's handsome, captain of the lifeguards, black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, great dude, rescued hundreds and hundreds of people from drowning. Just everyone's like, oh, that guy. He walked up to my yoga studio and he poked his head and he's never been by my yoga studio. And I just happened to be there. I was like, oh, dude, what are you doing here? And I went outside and he's like, I just feel like I, I feel like I need to be with people and around people. He's like, I'm not in a good space, man. I'm like, oh, man. I was like, let me help you out. I was like, start coming to my yoga studio. Like, let's do this. We have classes tomorrow. And I went inside and I gifted him a huge package of classes because I could see the hurt in his eyes. And he's like, yeah, man. He's talking about this really hasn't been good for him just being secluded away from everybody. And we had this long talk, and I could see him hurting. So I was like, dude, you better come on by. So I called him the next day. He didn't pick up. So I text him like, hey, man, you have classes waiting here. I expect to see you show up. Never did. Checked him with more and more. Never did. And I was like, man, I hope you're okay. And he'd be like, yeah, yeah, I'm actually doing better. I'm okay, all this stuff. And then I get the call. And, mm. you know. It was it was devastating. Hundreds of people. I want to say five or six hundred people showed up to his funeral. A helicopter was flying above. American flags everywhere. Everyone talking about the history. And you know, finally, one of his good friends that stood up on the stage to talk was just like, he's like, we need to start talking about mental health. He's like, we are not. We're beating around the bush here. He's like, we need to take this man and celebrate him through educating people about mental health and what happens when you are depressed, when you happens when you're secluded. We need to have a better infrastructure. We need to reach out to these people. I mean, when you think that suicide rates are 800%, my friend who works in this field, she's like, when people call, it's so busy, they'll never get through to anybody. You're at your, you're at, you're at this end point and you can't even talk to anyone. 
It's just how's that. It's like when you're. It's like when you're calling, you know, an airline or yeah, you know, but it's your life. Call or the DMV and all is like is like your call is number seventy nine. <laughs> your call is eight hundred and forty two, and then there's elevator music playing the whole time. You know, everyone hates that, and it's just so deeply unfortunate. It was. It really upset me about it, and you know. You go through all those emotions like, oh, I should have just drove over there. I should have, could have, would have done this. All these different things, which are supposedly not allowed, you know? Even hearing your story, it's it's making me angry, you know? I, I Because we are allowing the powers to be to focus on, you know, I guess what's right in front of us. And, and again, I'm not... I'm not saying that there isn't this virus out there, but I just, I think to lock people in their homes and put on masks, and I think about kids right now, and, and I, I think we, we, have, we are conveniently ignoring suicide, mental health. This goes to an even deeper level. You know, you're, you're telling people to stay home, but some people can't stay home because they have to go to work. You know, they have kids, they have to pay bills, and it's easy for these wealthy governors and, and politicians to say, oh, you should stay home, because they're still getting paid through all of this. And it, it I'm, I'm just, it pisses me off. It really, and, and I guess, and then I'm hearing the story that you're sharing, and it's and my question, what I'm thinking to to relate to you, you know, a friend of mine said to me, you know, I've noticed about your podcast, you don't really, you know, you're not like Tony Robbins, you don't give suggestions how how on how other people should live their lives, and I guess partly because I still struggle with mine, and I don't think I have the the answers to to share life lessons where where other how people should live their life, and I guess to draw this to you. I mean, are you hopeful? Yeah, I'm very hopeful. Um, I do think that life in general is always going to be like a heart monitor. It's going to go up. It's going to go down. It's going up. It's going to go down. If it's level, (laughs) it means you're dead. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I don't want to be cliche and be like, well, you know, if you're meditating, you'll always be able to weather the storm. But it really is uh, an inside job. You know, it's like. People go, oh, Tamal, you know, you were raised in a yoga family and your father had an ashram and all this stuff. But it wasn't it wasn't like some angelic monastery on a cliffside in Hawaii or anything like it. It was a house. It was a house in a neighborhood, gutted out garage, whether it was L.A. or Hawaii, having people come in from all over, teaching them yoga, you know – meditation, philosophy. My father is doing a donation base. Most people didn't donate anything. We struggled. We're evicted, homeless at different points. But the thing that kind of always shocked me as a child was looking at my father's spiritual perseverance. He would always never be wavered and freaked out. He'd always go, it's always going to be okay. It's all going to be okay. And it wasn't just like, oh, he's trying to comfort his kids. He like really, really embodied that. You could tell he was experiencing his words inside, viscerally. And um, I could see because he had such a strong spiritual foundation, he wasn't so wavered. You know, he wasn't flying around. 
you know, it's funny. We hear these words in yoga, but a lot of people don't know what they actually mean. Um, like there's, we hear this word guru, right? You're, oh, guru and things like that. But in yoga, your father is actually supposed to be your first guru, your first teacher. Um, most in society, people are like, well, that ain't for me. Right. <laughs> I had my dad ain't my guru, but for my for me, my father was. And do you know what the word guru means? No. It means heavy. Hmm. And somebody who uh, doesn't have that spiritual heaviness, you know what they're called? Lagu, which means light, which means that they can just be blown around by the material winds and calamities, and they're always, oh my god, they're lagu. So you want somebody who's heavy and embodies that spiritual heaviness now. Yeah, I think there's a virus. I'm not I'm not some conspiracy theorist like, oh my God, there's no virus. I'm not political, which people get really upset about. Tomorrow you need to be more political. Me in general, I just don't like a lot of the hypocrisy that I see going on in general with yoga teachers, with politicians and things like that. Uh, just the overall dialogue or narrative that's been going through this entire thing. And it's, it constantly for me is real proof of what they talk about in the Vedic literature, that this place is what they call Martyaloka, this whole world we're living in. They call it Martyaloka. It means a place of anxiety. Hmm. Say the word again. Martialoka. Martialoka. Wow. Place of anxiety. So every time I see these things arising and these things happening, I'm like, well, it's really just proving the point of what they're talking about. Yeah. Because everybody's in anxiety. Some people may be in even anxiety hearing us talk right now when it really shouldn't be. Like I hear people say ridiculous stuff to me. It's not necessarily putting me in anxiety. I may disagree with it. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> sitting there white knuckling it sweating going oh my gosh but it's but it's weird i i don't know i've always been pretty sensitive and i feed off of people's energy like i was telling a friend of mine felicia who you know if i if i'm riding my bike down the boardwalk and somebody's got some weird energy i i pick up on it and and you know if if you read nothing but negative articles and and see these running tabulations of numbers and you're around you know i i think i'm positive and and i'm really healthy and i've put a lot of work into my life but um sometimes just being sensitive as strong as you as formidable as you may feel with your own life and feel confident and think you're on the right track um i'm often tripped up a little bit and I, and I get back to sort of being in that level playing field but um I, I don't know if it's I, I just I don't know if it's being strong light I, there's this strange sensitivity and an emotional component I think to many of us where you can't control it and if you are alive right now I think it's hard not to be affected by what's going on yeah I think so and I, I uh, you know there's there's something nice about being sensitive to how people are feeling. There's a soft-hearted quality, like you feel others' pain, right? Mm-hmm. I I see somebody on the street, and you can see they're in so much pain. You're like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm not going to ignore that. 
um, it's terrible. I see so much pain in people right now, and that's one of the things that really is frustrating to me to see that there's so much confusion, so much chaos, quarrel uh, going on. That's the other thing that <laughs> drives the point home with yoga is so the whole universe we're living is called Martya Loka or place of anxiety. But they also categorize different chapters or era of this universe, like winter, spring, summer, and fall. Um, but they go for a long periods of times. So they're not months. They're thousands of years. And the era that we're living is called Kali Yuga, which means the age of chaos, quarrel, and confusion. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> chaos, quarrel, and confusion, right? Yeah. So uh, since there's all that, all that stuff's going on, it can be a very emotional time, a very confusing time. Uh, the thing that I feel needs to be done or one of the things that needs to kind of take shape is there's something that they talk about in the Bhagavad Gita that not all but a lot of people when things are going real south when things are going real off the charts where they don't like it and they experience a lot of frustration and pain and it's not just a societal thing let's say you lose somebody let's say a natural disaster happens it can be a myriad of different things that cause you to have pain in your life but they say a lot of people, when they experience something, they'll start to turn towards God. They'll start to turn towards their spiritual practice or try to find a spiritual practice. And that's what needs to take place um, because a lot of people are just told to go go get wasted, drown yourself out till this whole thing's over. I've seen that all over social media. Let's get drunk till 2021. I'm like, that's the last thing you need to do. That's going to cause like crazy depression. <laughs> it's going to make you not think right. And, you know, another th reason that I, you know, kind of been off the social media grid is you ever have a conversation with somebody and they're just not hearing anything you're saying? Yeah, it happens a lot. It probably has happened to every single person that's listening right now. At some point in your life, you're having a conversation with somebody and they're not hearing anything you're saying nor do they really want to hear anything you're saying. And so, you know, I could feel right out the gate that a lot of the stuff is about timing, you know? A lot of things about uh, speaking about spiritual wisdom and uh, looking to alter your life in a different way is about timing with me. And I think a lot has to happen when uh, a lot of, emotions have calmed down when I think things start to level out and people can hear a little bit more obviously there's going to be times where people are like I need it right now but it's like I've dealt with in my life when people are either extremely angry hard to talk to somebody when they're extremely angry extremely emotional very hard to talk to somebody when they're doing that and the other option besides anger and emotional is extremely confused. And confusion can be just mental confusion or it can be intoxication. It can be a lot of those things. But when people are in any of those states of mind, it's extremely to get information through. Um, mm. And also when people are in a place where um, their cup is so full, it's also extremely hard to try to give information. They're like, I already know. I've made up my mind. Well, I was just thinking as you were saying this, sort of back to the, 
you were talking about meditating on the beach and being alone. I think not only is it important mentally just to sort of like calm your nerves to be in that place, but I actually think part of the reason that we're having a hard time right now culturally is we aren't connecting with what we actually think, like individually. You know, I I will read an article or write a song or I, you know, I wrote this book that I, I and you know, you, you need like time to, yeah, you need some space to, away from what you wrote or created to have some objectivity. If you read an article or hear an opinion or, you know, read a textbook, even going back to like school and class, you spend weeks analyzing it and thinking about it. And, and we aren't using, we, we aren't doing that anymore. And I, I just, I think not only are you calming your nerves by being alone and meditating, but I think you're allowing yourself to digest what you've read or, or watched and, and, and seeing how it connects or disconnects with your own values. Yeah. I mean, I think that time to be with your thoughts um, is important. I think it's extremely um impactful you know in Pontagelli's eight sutras Svadhyaya is about introspection and I'm a huge um, advocate of that kind of thing happening um, I don't think it's great when people are uh, in such a dark state when they're alone with their thoughts that it makes them go into a deeper spiral they need some direction yeah. right they need some direction of where to go with their thoughts um, they need support and love and you know those periods of alone are specific according to specific people um, but I do think it's so important um, to reassess your life too. You know, it's like there's almost eight billion people on this planet, and we may have eight billion uh, different outlooks, different pursuits, but we're actually all looking for the exact same fucking thing. And everyone's like, "What do you mean?" Well, somebody may be trying to become like an executive make tons of money. Somebody's trying to become a politician, become really popular or not popular. Right. <laughs> Somebody's trying to find a perfect relationship. Somebody else is trying to find the dream house, live on the coast of the of Australia. Some person's trying to do this thing or that thing, but we're really all looking for the same thing because what that thing really is is happiness. We're trying to be, make a lot of money because we think it'll make us happy. We want to become famous because we think it'll make us happy. We want that relationship because we think it's going to fulfill us. It may, may look like on the outside the mask of a million different things or 7.5 billion things, but it's inside that it's really the same issue. It's the same exact meaning we're searching for, and you're never going to find it the way we're doing it. You know, It's going to sound very biblical, but it's like – that's the road most traveled. You got to take the road less traveled. You know, the one that we're all doing, the road is wide and it's not working. <laughs> it's so funny because you're like, if you're, if you met somebody and they go, my father, my grandfather, we've all done the same thing. It's not made us happy. Maybe it'll, maybe it'll be different for you. <laughs> yeah. You're like, wait, what? You know, that's called madness, right? Doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. It's called that insanity. 
that's what we're doing. And the hard part about it is in the Vedas, they call it you're chewing what's already been chewed. No one wants to eat someone else's chewed up food, but that's what we're doing. We're chewing the chewed. Um, so it becomes an essential thing for us to go, wait a minute. I got to go by myself and think, who am I? Am I this body, this mask? Or am I a soul? Are material things the source of happiness? Do I need that big house? Do I need that car? Do I need that relationship? Do I need to sleep with all those people? Do I need to do all these drugs? Do I need to, you got to assess all that stuff. Is this what, is this all there is? And actually in yoga, they say you're not really um, capitalizing on this special gift of having a human form of life until you ask those questions. Otherwise, you're just living like any other animal, just eating, sleeping, mating, and defending. Um, you're just you're just hitting the bricks over and over again, never making it way. And when we start to assess and go inward and really develop a spiritual practice and cultivate spiritual wisdom, the funny thing is homo sapien means wise man, right? Mm-hmm. But wisdom is – when you look at it in depth and you dissect it, wisdom is about who knows the most about the stock market, who knows um, how to build a Formula One engine. You know, yeah. that's knowledge of a sort, right? Those are all knowledge of a sort, but it doesn't mean it's wisdom, something that's going to carry you into a realm that's beyond the confines of this shell, and. That's where we need to go. We need to become a truly wise person and develop that spiritual authenticity because all there is, it's just so, it's so fucking phony right now out there. Everything's so phony. Everything is about this fake image of our life on Instagram, on TikTok, on social media. Everything is about, oh, this is how my perfect life looks and this is how I am. Hashtag thriving, all this stuff when it really is not like that. You know, it's like I've had clients that were so astronomically wealthy and would cry in their yoga sessions telling me, I don't know what the hell's missing. I got everything. I've got literally everything. What's missing? Because in yoga, they say, aham brahmasmi, I'm a spirit, I'm a soul. And the soul is a spiritual being that needs spiritual things to make it happy. You know, I give this analogy of a fish out of water. If this fish is out of water, it's not happy. It's got to be in its natural element of water. The soul needs to engulf itself in connecting with the supreme being, and then it'll be happy. Then the soul will be content. Because it's funny, like during this pandemic, people go, oh, my God, aren't you upset, Tamal? You you don't have your L.A. studio. All these financial things are happening because of the pandemic and all this stuff. And, yeah, it's frustrating. It's irritating. But at the end of the day, I think about this a lot. Even if I had 100 thriving studios all the way up into the moment I died, when I die, all 100 studios are going to be taken away from me at my last breath in one go, not plucked away individually. Hmm. The house I'm living in, gone, one go. Car, gone. The body I'm wearing, gone. Everything just vanished. And you can't build all of your attachments on – the fragile glass of material things because 
it's all just going to fall apart at some time. Everything in this world's a rental. You're not owning everything. You're just occupying it for a short period of time. That's the definition of a rental, right? Yeah. Everybody in LA has a rental pretty much because it's too expensive, <laughs> right? True. That's true. Like something I'm occupying. It doesn't belong to me. It's um, having it for a little while. That's life. This goes back to social media, but I, I posted a podcast probably a year ago about it. That like feature has created a world where we have to feel liked. And I, I think that's somehow actually damaging because we don't know how to deal with somebody who doesn't agree with us, some you know, conflict, and we seem somehow need to create. You know, you and I talked at the very beginning of this talk about, you know, we may offend people or we need people to be offended almost sometimes, you know, obviously in a mature sort of way, because I think we need to somehow get comfortable hearing people that don't agree with us. And we've somehow become so obsessed with being liked. And I I just I think that's causing more more harm in this weird sort of way. Yeah. You know, my father used to tell me as a boy. Uh, he gave me direction of how I should live life. He says, if you're comfortable, you're not progressing. Yeah. You get very uncomfortable. And that's the problem. Everybody wants to get comfortable. Everyone's like, oh, I just want to live in a warm, snuggly blanket of life. I want only people to say the things that I want them to say. I want to do this. But that's just not how life is. That's the other reason why I was probably drawn to jujitsu because it's probably the most uncomfortable place to ever be where you've got like a 250 pound guy laying on top of your face. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's so uncomfortable. <laughs> and when you first start, you're like, I can't do anything about this. I'm just getting my face crushed in and suffocated by this giant man who knows way more about martial arts than I do. And there's something so amazing about that because you start to learn how to deal with things, deal with emotions, deal with your thoughts things that used to upset you so much doesn't anymore. It's like some of the most peaceful people I've ever met in my life are probably the most physically tough and dangerous people you will ever know because they have nothing to prove anymore. Yeah. It's like they come out of jiu-jitsu and somebody could flip them off and they'll just smile and give them a peace sign. Ultra <laughs> <laughs> is like, I hate you, F off. And you're like, what's the big deal? <laughs> you yeah. know? And they're some of the most peaceful people because they don't, they don't have anything to prove. They don't go out there starting fights. They avoid fights. They make peace. They connect people. You know, that whole thing of wanting everyone to like you, it's, it's kind of ridiculous. That's not how life's ever going to roll. You're going to have, again, 7.5 billion people who are going to say 7.5 billion other things, right? Yeah. And, you know, I've gotten a lot of flack pre-COVID about things. Like I say the word God a lot and people really don't like you saying the word God in the yoga community. Right. People go, what are you, religious? What is this? <laughs> and I actually think that's really bizarre, one, that people are so uncomfortable with it. And two, it also shows a lack of education about what yoga is and where it comes from, what it's all about. People have their concocted uh, ideas of what yoga is and where it came from and how it developed, but doesn't mean that's the actual history or the meaning behind it. 
um, when people create their own philosophies, that's actually the definition of a cult. You know, the word God is used everywhere in the Yoga Sutras, in the Bhagavad Gita, in the Srimad Bhagavatam, the Sri Upanishad, the Brahma Samhita. It's like once you dive into it, you better get comfortable with the word God. And this is the thing that irritates me. It's about that comfort zone thing again, is there's so many airy fairy phony yoga people out there that get so uncomfortable with the word God that when they write their translated versions of these ancient scriptures, they change the words because they don't like what it said. Wow. What the hell are you doing? Yeah. You're never going to real meaning. Would you have – this is the perfect example. Let's say you're trying to learn French, but somebody didn't like some of the words. So they wrote a book to teach you French but deleted some of the words and wrote a different meaning. And now you're going to go try to have a conversation with somebody who speaks French. Is it going to work out? They'll be like, where did you learn to speak yeah. this <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's insanity. And if people don't know how to use logic to, to kind of deduce that kind of um, – logic from that go this doesn't make any sense then it's craziness it's madness and that's that's what irritates me and you know if you take god out of yoga that's like taking the ocean out of the beach and expecting to learn how to surf you're never going to get there you're never going to learn how to surf you can buy the board you can sit on the sand but if you're not getting in the ocean you're never going to learn how to do it i have this strange i i like i i trust that you're going to be okay you know and and i I know this is a hard time for a lot of people. I can't even fathom what some people are going through right now. And, and I realize I have a lot of things to be grateful for right now. Um, I'm having a hard time thinking about kids wearing masks and not going to school, like doing Zoom classes. Um, I'm thinking about a generation of people that grew up on the phone. I mean, I feel like you and I, uh, I think I'm a little older than you are, but even so, we we knew life before the phone. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, um, and I, I do, th- I, I don't know. I mean, I know you have a, ch- a son, um, and, and I can delete anything. We can, and it's not even that I'm asking you to talk about him, but I have a hard time thinking that kids are going to be able to, for a lot of the things that we've discussed for the last hour, are going to navigate and get through a technology-filled slash mask-filled uh, society. I think there's a lot of things to that. I'm, I, I think there's a lot of bizarre things that are going on. There's actually a you know, ton of MDs out there that have made posts about these things. Um, and a lot of people don't understand, like my grandfather's doctor, my uncle buddy's doctor. We come from, a, I come from a family where there's medical professionals in there. And I think the mask wearing thing uh, for children, you know, I'm not a huge fan of. That's why I pulled my son out of going to a public school. I was like, he can't, he can't do this. Also, my child, there's certain developmental things that need to happen when they're young for social um, interactions that are detrimental to how people relate. Um, and so, you know, I put my son in a, a little, uh, it's like a half homeschool, mm-hmm. <laughs> half private school, so they get a few hours with other kids, but then they're homeschooled also. Uh, very bohemian. Yeah. <laughs> but I needed to find something for him because he's at the developmental stage. I mean, he's 11 years old. He's just a little kid, you know, he's preteen. And there's a lot of things 
they learn from each other. There's a lot of things that they gain from being around each other. Um, so much uh, healthy things that need to take place. And, you know, obviously we know even from the CDC and everything that children in general don't really get affected by this. I mean, that's very common knowledge at this point. Completely. Uh, I also think in general the mask thing, they're, they're trying to get everyone to wear masks even when they work out and go to yoga. I will leave this. Pre-COVID, I've been teaching yoga for a long time at this point. Um, I'm going on almost 18 years of teaching yoga. I've seen it all. I've seen in Santa Monica, naked guys, homeless guys running in through a yoga class. (laughs) I've seen people puking outside after yoga class. I've seen it all happen. Things that I have experienced in yoga is when people – their circulation isn't great. Maybe they're dehydrated. Or They'll come to class and you won't even know. And I've had people in classes when I've taught at other studios faint in the middle of a class without wearing a face restriction. Faint. Thank God every time that I've had that happen, people caught those people or I caught those people as they're falling. Now, having something covering your mouth and your nose and if you're not properly hydrated, not properly and not very healthy and things like that, Oh man, it's it's sketchy ground. Um, you know, for children, I just I think it's a very confusing time for them too. It's like my son when this was all going down, he was told to be a minimum of six feet apart with other kids, and they'd sit on the street at my house and they'd stand six to ten feet apart, yelling to each other, yelling to each other, and they're kids, right? They're oblivious. And one day, my son, his friend, stepped like I want to say five and a half feet away from him, and a parent came out screaming at the top of the lungs and chewed them both out and told them they were a danger to society and all this stuff and they need to get away. And how confused were their kids don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you know? They're just like, oh, it's my friend. <laughs> <laughs> right. My buddy. We hang. Um, you know, I, I may be the wrong person to to talk about, you know, COVID and uh, as far as like, I think, you know, eating a very healthy plant-based diet and, you know, getting sunshine, fresh air and all these things are extremely beneficial for boosting your immune system because God gave us these incredible bodies that have amazing resilience if you give it the opportunity. Just like your body can do things that you never thought it could do if you give it the opportunity. Like people always stare and wonder at guys like Scott Jurek who can run these crazy ultra marathons in no time or, you know, Dylan Warner can do crazy acrobatic things and stuff like that. Or, you know, some athlete does this thing or people do amazing Wim Hof breaks world records and the superhuman things because you give your body the opportunity to do something, it will do it. Right. You know, when I was a kid, you know, somebody had chicken pox, your parents brought you over there and told you to go rub up against them. (laughs) Right. Told you to go in the dirt pit and get exposed to as many things as you can. As a kid, my grandfather was an MD. It was like you need to get him exposed to germs and things like that to build up his immune system. And so, you know, uh, I'm not a doctor, so I'm not going to pretend to give medical advice. But I mean, kids in general, you know, we were told even when my son was born that you know it's healthy for them to get exposed to things. And I was born with not born. I I was diagnosed with an uh, with rheumatoid arthritis when I was twelve. It's an autoimmune condition like lupus and Crohn's, and so I'm I'm just very sensitive to what 
the world is suggesting we do. And, and I've busted my ass um, because I was pumped with steroids as a kid and, and like Plaquenil and, and drugs that they reserve for cancer patients to try and figure out how to control this disease that I had. And, you know, I got sick again in my early 20s and then I had this decision. You know, the doctors wanted me to go back on to steroids and, and, and take these toxic medications. But I had a, I mean, some sort of premonition or voice inside my head that if I was going to live, I needed to do more than just pop myself with pills. And so, you know, I went to therapy, I started uh, juicing, and this was years before, you know, press juicery and eating much better. And, and uh, I started going to yoga, I started meditating, and I started to swim and, and took a very active stance to think of ways to improve my immune system. I mean, to me, the mask is is very symbolic of, of like steroids because steroids, they really mask what's going on underneath the body because the moment that you go from like 50 milligrams of steroids down to like 30 to 20 to 10, the body starts feeling sick again because the steroids really are just masking the problem. I guess my last point, I'm sensitive to what's going on and then we'll hear what you have to say because I, it, I've lost, I lost trust from a very young age in the medical uh, field. And I'm not saying that they're all bad doctors, they're all great doctors. I think that we are born into a world that makes people think that they need to take pills and, you know, stay home. And I just think there are other alternatives. And if we can't look at those alternatives without, you know, with some objectivity, have a conversation about other alternatives, um, and just so you only have to listen to science, I mean, that's basically saying, I'm not listening to the yoga teacher. I'm only listening to my doctor. I, to me, that is, I'm not going to go to a chiropractic doctor. I'm only going to listen to a board certified MD who went to Harvard or something. I think, uh, and I'm also a believer in homeopathic medicine. I, I just, I think we need to have honest discussions about building immune systems. I think, you know, I'm a total health nut, so that's why I said I'm the wrong guy for people to be talking to about it. Uh, I think that you know people should have the freedom to choose what they're going to do with their bodies. You know, um, this is a temple that was given to me, and I can put what I want in on and around it. And I would like to have that right to do it, and I think people should. And if you don't agree with me, that's fine. I love and I support you. You don't have to agree with me. It's funny. I was listening to this Joe Rogan uh, podcast um, that I turned on just randomly, and he was talking about how – he was talking about – I forget who he's interviewing. And they were saying, you know, the problem with our society is you could have 10,000 amazing comments on your podcast, yeah. but then there's the one, and that's all you think about is the one, the one, one, one that's hating on me. So, I mean – you know, people can agree with whatever they want or disagree with whatever they want, and that's your freedom. You know, that's great. You have that freedom, um, but also people should have the freedom to say what they want as well and do what they're going to do as well. And you should be okay with that. Um, we have free will. I don't know where this is all going to go. I don't know. I can't foresee the future. Um, all I can say is, you know, we can try to gain the tools and the knowledge to. Uh, weather the storms of life, um, 
you know, even in yoga teacher training, I'm always telling people, you know, if you want to get really educated on anything, you better start reading and studying like you've never read and studied before. Just engulf yourself. You want to know everything there is about plant-based lifestyle, go read a bazillion books, right? Go eat Conscious Eating by Gabriel Cousins. Go read Blue Zones. Go read – I could talk to you all day long about this, right? Go eat, uh, Go read Diet, Life Expectancy, and Chronic Disease. I could give you a laundry list of awesome books um, if you want to – Dive deep in your spiritual life. Go pick up the Bhagavad Gita as it is. Go read the Sri Upanishad. You don't want to read an Eastern philosophy book. You just want to get your spiritual life jump-started and read something that kind of can just speak to you at the time right now. Go read this amazing book out there called Proof of Heaven. Um, it's a really great starting book. If you don't want to read that, another amazing book out there to read is called Life After Life by Dr. Raymond Moody. Um, it just starts to give you that connection of not being the body, of being a spirit or soul, life after death. Um, that book, Life After Life by Raymond Moody, is amazing because he's the guy who coined the, coined the phrase NDE, near-death experience. He's a psychiatrist, but he's also has a degree in philosophy. And it was the 50s or 60s, I think, where he started giving counseling to people who died on the operating table and come back to life because they're supposed to cope with the trauma of it. But as he started you know, helping these people, letting them talk and tell their story. He's like, these guys aren't traumatized. Something amazing happened that is literally happening to all of them. It's very connected. Um, so those are like wonderful books just to kind of take out the little flint rocks of spiritual life and you just start chipping away until a little fire starts and then it's up to you to keep blowing on it and get that thing into a raging forest fire in your heart and take it somewhere. You know, that's why I really want to get on this podcast. You know, obviously we're sharing some things that we don't like that we're seeing and we're doing a commentary on society. Really, you know, people will think a lot of this stuff is political, but it's more of like societal. You know, there's a lot of societal stuff. Obviously there's politics involved. Um, but what I really wanted to address is just hopefully giving some people some tools and some insights of things to pursue, not trying to preach until you have to do this, but suggestions of what you can do and you can take them or leave them. You know, if you want to start a spiritual journey, I always say, start with reading, go pick up some of those books I just rattled off. Start with maybe contemplating life a couple minutes every day. Pray. People go pray to them all. What, what do we, what is this? Some religious thing you're talking about? Just <laughs> Empty your cup. Just empty your cup. It's part of yoga. And if you don't know how to pray, just be honest. The best prayers are the honest ones. Like I do these 300-hour yoga teacher trainings, and they're intensive. We do it really differently. I take people to like Costa Rica, and we're just locked in an ashram setting for three weeks together. We start the day off at 6 a.m. It's like still kind of dark out. We all chant on mala beads. And then we have a prayer session where everyone does their own quiet prayer. And I encourage people. I'm like, if you don't know how to pray, just say, God, I don't even know if you're really there. I don't know if you exist. I don't know if I'm talking to the goddamn air. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. But if you are there, and if I don't do this, and I'm missing out big time, I don't want to miss out. I don't want to miss the big picture. So please Teach me how to talk to you. Show me that you're there. Please guide me in the direction I need to go. And this is actually yoga, guys. This is actually part of what they call uh, 
the nine devotional processes in yoga. Um, and those are all amazing places to start that spiritual journey. You know, we have to take that time to ask those metaphysical ontological questions. We have to have the time to pray. We have to have the time to read. We have to engage in activities that are changing the infrastructure of our consciousness. And then when you do that, you're probably going to think and feel and operate differently in the world. And you probably will not be floating around so much, blown by the winds of society. Well, and it's funny. I, I, again, I keep saying last point, but I was thinking about the word control. I think a lot of what's the problem right now is everybody wants to feel like they're in control. And, and I think I've learned and you've learned that we can try as hard as we want, but we're not in control. We don't know when our last breath is going to be, but it does feel like, as I'm hearing you, that you can at least control, like maybe your your perspective, or or maybe you can't. I don't know, but it feels like what you were just describing. It is a sense of at least you can control how you're going to potentially react or um, accept you know, how your life is going to unfold. I mean, maybe it's about acceptance. And they, it's, it, control is impossible. Acceptance is possible. People use the word belief and faith interchangeably, but they're very different. Um, belief means acceptance of something to be true. That's actually the definition of it. And we may accept things to be true, but that can change really easily, right? Mm-hmm. For instance, when you're a kid, you may believe that Santa Claus is real. You've accepted it to be true. You know, my son, I never <laughs> told him that Santa Claus is real, but it kind of blew up on our face because he was five years old. And then he went and met with his cousins who were also five and six years old. He's like, Santa Claus isn't real. Grandma puts that stuff under the tree and blew it for everybody, right? right. So now they don't accept it to be true. So the belief changed. Faith, on the other hand, is... Um, living your life in accordance uh, with truly understanding something to be true via experiential knowledge, not just something you've read, but you've experienced it. And it's very hard to change it. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's like belief. You may have never seen Santa Claus because Santa Claus isn't real. And so you've just accepted to be true faith. You've had some vision and some sight and some experience. And it's very hard to change that. Like you could go surf, you finally catch a wave. No one's ever going to be able to tell you it's not possible to catch a wave again. Or it's never going to be possible for you. It's like, no, I fucking rode that wave, dude. <laughs> I experienced it. It's real. It's going to happen. I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep striving for it, right? So when it comes to faith, it's like once you've had experiential knowledge and uh, – You've had that little taste. It's very hard to waver from it. And when you live your life having this unflinching faith in something divine that no matter what happens, you know, you're in God's hands. You kind of accept whatever's going to happen is to be the path that's going to happen. You know, it's going to be it's going to unfold the way it's supposed to be, you know, whether it's material devastation maybe a great spiritual thing for you whether it's nothing that big it's not up to you you know tomorrow i could get hit by a car it's not up to me i don't have control of that i could be hit by a bus 
I could choke on my avocado toast. <laughs> I could drink a green juice full of salmonella. Yeah. <laughs> hospital you never know what's going to happen it's not in my hands and you know that's the thing is we want to all control so much and we want things to be exactly the way we want we want people to say what we want them to say we want to things to pan out to this fairy tale thing and people have this difficult looming thing of it's out of my control but once you accept that it's out of your control it's in someone else's control it's it could be something amazing you know that's the thing about psychology right they say there there are people live their life in different ways one is the external locus of control where you live your life like god's in control of my life i have no control and then there's the internal locus of control where people go well i'm in control of my life there is no such thing as god i run the show <laughs> and people go so what's yoga and i go well yoga's both god's in control but god gives you free will also right because you have free will to sit in a conversation or walk out of a conversation right you have free will to eat plant-based or not eat plant-based. You have free will to think differently than somebody else, and you can also choose other things, right? So it's both. And the thing that people struggle with, that, that it's both. People mm -hmm. have a hard time with thinking that it's both. And that's why people only talk about it. It's either black or white. It's only this. <laughs> it can't be. You know, there's none of that. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's one of the big problems. Well, Tamal, Dodge, I'm really excited that we had this great talk. I think, again, every, every time I have somebody on the show, I'm reminded, you know, this is how people used to talk. You know, there were no distractions. You got to really, and I even felt like a sense of relaxation the more we spoke. And it just, it was, it was really, it was really great to, great to see you. Yeah, man. Great to see you. And you know, maybe not everybody knows our history. Eddie's a great dude. He did my teacher training, and that's not what makes him a great dude. He was a good dude before that. <laughs> right. I was, I was a mess before. <laughs> but, um, you know, I really think that conversations like this are important. I think people need to do it more often. I think people need to throw their cell phones, everything aside. It's funny and ironic that we have to do this through a computer, but it is still a personal interaction. And just look at somebody in the eyes and just talk. You know, I've been actually having a lot of talks with friends incessantly about everything. And everyone wants to dive deep into politics with me and everybody's trying to fit you into a specific box. And there are people are like, what do you mean you're not political? I'm like, I'm just not political. And they're like, oh, you're in that box of the person who's not going this side or that side. You need to pick a side. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> but trying to keep my business alive and help people. Um, you know? I found that it was beneficial during this whole scenario to help people spiritually. I've been holding these spiritual gather, virtual gatherings. I've been teaching meditation classes more than I probably ever have during this pandemic. Um, and doing things behind the scenes. And I think that's even funny when people go, where are you? What are you doing? I'm like, dude, I'm doing, I'm, I'm doing all these things I need to do, but I didn't know how to call you and report to you. Yeah. <laughs> people automatically are always trying to police everybody and stuff like that. That's why, you know, there's that great saying in the Bible, don't look for the splinter in your brother's eye when you got a telephone pole hanging out of your own. <laughs> Paraphrasing, but yeah, yeah, you, yeah. Get, um, you know, I think that, the more people are going to practice yoga, the more people are going to meditate, the more people are going to study, the happier and healthier there will be. And that's, again, that's the reason I'm 
you know, keeping yoga salt going out here. It's why I'm doing Bodhi. If you guys want to check it out, BodhiLive.com. BodhiLive.com. There's a landing page right now, but it'll be a huge site starting January. It's going to be wonderful. It'll be free for all of you guys for the first couple months. So you can just play around. Um, but that'll be an amazing thing for everybody to play around with. And, you know, I just want to continue doing things. My big ultimate goal, I really just want to hold massive meditation and philosophy talks. You know, I think that's coming soon. Um, I feel like people can be redirected in their lives of what's really important um, and find a new outlook on life. I'm not going to try to tell everyone, oh, you need to go to the Himalayas and do that. That's false renunciation. I'm talking about just adding something to the life that will really change their priorities. Our priorities are all mixed up. And, you know, I want to give philosophy and meditation freely to everybody. So that's like my big thing, you know. Another cliche, lose yourself in the service of others. But, I mean, that's where it's at, man. It really is. Well, it's it's what you're here to do. I mean, it's your calling. I believe that. So, um, I, think, I think... I think it's everybody's calling. I think people just need to find it. Well, it was really great to see you. And, um, yeah, it means a lot. And, um, anyway, thanks so much for, for taking the time to talk. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening. <laughs>